Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Draycott Diaries. A bit windy today, a bit wet. I'm actually recording this on October the 2nd, but I couldn't be in a nicer, cozier kitchen. I've got my guide dog with me, Jackie, and she has a friend under the table called Ada. And those of you who know Ada will find that the clue sitting opposite me at a safe social distance is the very lovely Thea Oliver. So Thea, a very, very, very good morning to you and welcome to Draycott Diaries. Good morning and welcome to Barn Close. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you. Now, Thea, we have some really exciting things to talk about this morning, but we're going to do it in order, if we may, because the lovely thing about podcasts for, for Draycott is that when I talk to somebody, especially figures like yourself in the village who are so well known, people are fascinated because they find out things about people that they didn't they didn't know, you know. So if you may, I'd like to delve into your I know it's not a dark past, but into into your <laughs> yeah. past. So Thea, you, you haven't lived in Somerset all your life, is that right? Yes, well I was originally born in Cardiff and I was brought up in a little seaside town called Penarth, which is known as the Garden by the Sea. And yeah, I lived there until I was about 18 when I started my nurse training. And I moved to Newport in Gwent and then over to Southmead Hospital to finish my training. That's about the time that I married Richard and that's 41 years ago now. Yes, we were in Bristol for 13 years and then we moved down to Draycott in 1991. And you're nursing, you're now currently a nurse practitioner at the Wells Surgery. Yes. Are you concentrating in a certain field? Uh, yes, I, you could say. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a generalist, so if you work in a GP surgery as I do, then I see the same sorts of things as the GPs will see. Um, minor illness same-day urgent things. At the moment, of course, we're doing mostly telephone triage, video consultations, and people are sending us photographs of some very interesting things from time to time, a sore toe or a, <laughs> a spot they don't like, that sort of thing. So, yeah, but my suppose my specialist areas are respiratory and sexual health. Okay. So phlegm and sex, that's what I... Phlegm and sex. Phlegm, phlegm and sex, that's the two things that um, are my specialist areas when I'm at work. However, I see anything that somebody brings in to me. Well, yeah. that's put me off my coffee. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I didn't know that about me. <laughs> I just think that's great. Phlegm and sex. Yeah. I feel a, I feel a book coming on. <laughs> Thea, you have lived here then for a long time, obviously, and have brought up three children. Is that correct? Yes. Here, but you also, because um, I always have the figure four and sometimes more children coming yeah. to live with you. What, what's that about? Well, we've always had anybody, our home has been open to anybody who needs to come. Um, so when we were living in Bristol in particular, we had students who, who lodged with us and ended up staying a lot longer than perhaps they would have expected to stay because I suppose they felt at home with us. And then when we've moved to Draycott, I did a little bit of childminding and so people would, would come here as well, as well as nursing. And yeah, and we had a young lady called Tia who came to stay with us when she was in her teens to go to school in Kings of Wessex. And because her parents lived in Malaysia at the time, she then went off to university in Nottingham and was coming home to us at, in the holidays. And she still is a very important part of our family. So she's our, our fourth child. 
Wow. And, yeah. Four children and a dog and your yeah. husband. That's quite a lot. So, Theo, I'm puzzled because I know as a single woman, just with a guide dog, it's hard work just getting myself around, you know, stuff like that. I'm getting a picture of you. Obviously, I know you a bit, but it's lovely getting to know you better, that you're a really busy woman. You've got all of these children. You're, you've also got other side jobs, it seems, as well as your, your main, main job as a, as a nurse at Wells. How has God come into your life so profoundly and why has God come into your life so profoundly because we'll talk about the next stage in a minute but tell me a little bit first of all about the foundation of your faith. Yes I can't say that God has come in suddenly God has always been there God my faith I was brought up in a a Christian household my parents were very involved in, in the local church in South Wales as were most of my family and still are so that was just normal for me. I thought that's what everybody did. You go to church on Sunday, um, Sunday school, and you know, Dad would probably go back in the evening for an evening service. And when I was old enough, I would go as well, and I would sing in the choir. And it's just a feeling that there's somebody else in your life that's always there, uh, a support. And yeah, it's it's difficult to explain really because there are some people who have a sudden experience of God, and they think it's you know wonderful and amazing which of course it is I've never had that it's just been a constant presence in my life and every now and then I get a nudge that says you need to be doing something and I can't tell you that definitely it's God that said that but it's an idea that's in my head or somebody will come and say to me Thea you should you should be doing this and so I follow that and see what happens and most of the time things seem to have worked out so moving jobs, becoming a nurse to start with, because that wasn't my original plan. But I thought A-levels weren't really for me, so I um, decided that I would leave school. And what could I do? I could train and get paid. Aha, yes, I can be a nurse. And that's why, and then of course, that's when I discovered my first vocation, really, uh, is is nursing. Um, Well, of course, and that is naturally a caring profession in itself, isn't it? Um, Thea, you've taken this further, though, haven't you? Mm. Uh, we'll we'll talk about the big day that has just happened. But you decided at some point that you wanted to take this further. And you wanted to become ordained. When did that come to the forefront of your your mind? And how long has it taken to get to the stage <laughs> of being officially ordained? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm nearly sixty one, so I could be. I could say it's been taken me all this time, all my life. Most of the time since I've been an adult. It's been something that I've thought about doing. So I taught in Sunday school. I've done different courses. I've led house groups, things like that, and been involved in the church. And, yeah, I suppose every now and then, as I said before, you get a thought or as as if a message has come through and I will try and put it off and say, no, not yet. Can't do it yet. I'm too busy. I'm doing another nursing course or the children are still at school or, oh, now I've got grandchildren come along. Yes, I can't do it yet. But... A few years ago, I was at a a conference and I was trying to decide what did God want me to do. And I was at a nursing conference and I met a a new person to me. I'd not met her before. And because I was on the organising committee, my job was to say, oh, hello, who are you? Where where are you from? Have you been before? And I asked her and she said she was a district nurse, which is unusual at a respiratory conference because we tend to be primary care nurses um, like me. So we were chatting and she said, but that's not all I do. She said, part-time, I'm an Anglican priest. And I said, oh no, 
And she said, I'm so sorry, have I, have I offended you? And I said, no, it's just that I'm trying to decide what God wants me to do, whether he wants me to be um, a lay reader or whether he is pushing me to be ordained. So we had a little chat about it. And then later we went through to dinner before the conference and lo and behold, we were on the same table. We'd been set next to each other and yet I hadn't organised that, nor had she. And so we were chatting through the meal and she said to me, Thea, I have to tell you, I have this strong feeling that there's Eucharistic ministry in you. I think you should go forward and see about being trained to be ordained. And I said, oh, right, okay. And other people have said things to me in the village, and they'll know who they are if they hear this, that they thought that perhaps I should be a vicar. And so now they've got what they asked for, I think. But that's another thing. But I have been very involved in St Peter's Church in particular over the last 30-odd years that we've been here. I was church warden for 19 years. As I say, I've, I've led house groups and done things like that. I've been a lay worship assistant, which means I can help with services. And I'm now moving to a, a different, sort of moving sideways step into being able to be, to serve the community more, perhaps. Well, you've painted a wonderful picture there, and, and um, I mean, a lot of people are nodding over their morning coffee, Miss Skinner, <laughs> who know you. But it's taken how many years to get to this point? I mean, has, was there lots of form filling? Were there oh, lots gosh. of retreats? Did you? Um, I know Rev Burns has been very supportive to you. Yes. You spent a lot of time with Rev Burns. I mean, how um, can you just paint a? Because I'm sure it's it's been a huge mountain for you, but. Can you just give us uh, the sort of brushstrokes of, of what that yeah. period of time meant, you know, between uh, committing to being ordained until till being ordained? Yes, I mean, it probably was about 15 years ago that I first did a, a, a proper, in inverted commas, course, um, exploring Christianity, and then I moved on. So I started the discernment process. So after I'd had this meeting with, with the nurse at the conference, I spoke to Sue Rose, who used to be our... Vicar here, our rector, um, and she is now director of ordinance. So she's in charge of, um, of vocations. And if somebody is interested and thinks they've been called to enter the church or serve the church in some way. So I spoke to her and she sent me to meet with five different examining chaplains who met me over, over so many months. And they really grill you and ask, you know, why do you want to do this? Or what have you done so far? And, and all that, which is always a little bit frightening. We then had a year of going to monthly candidates days uh, with Bath and Wells Diocese. So you go to a, a whole day on a Saturday um, and have lectures and talks and discussions. Um, obviously, there's lots of praying going on as well. Uh, and then at the end of the year or so of attending candidates days, you then get put forward for your BAP which is the Bishop's Advisory Panel. Now that was a three-day residential interview. I went to Ely for mine uh, and that was really very in-depth. Um, you have to write essays, you have to answer lots of questions, you're interviewed again because they need to be absolutely certain that this is the right thing, that this is what God's calling me to do and I am answering the correct call and that is what they want. And interestingly, or maybe not interestingly, uh, I got through that. I wasn't sure if I would. You just, you never really know with interviews, do you? But uh, with three days of staying in Ely and, and I got through. Oh. So then that was in the May 2018. So in September, no, sorry, August 2018, I started at Sarum College in Salisbury. 
And so that was a part-time course, partly residential, partly online. We did a thing a bit like, I was well prepared for Zoom, I can tell you when that came this year, <laughs> because we'd been doing a thing that was called Adobe Connect. And so every week we were having lectures online and you had to sort of tune into them and log in and yeah, and we could speak to people, we could speak to our tutors and they would teach us and yeah. And so that, that worked very well. So I was used to that. I did put in the parish magazine how many words I must have written and how many assignments I, I have written. I think I did something like 12 modules over two years. Wow. It might have been more. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so I eventually at the end passed the course. The sad thing is that um, obviously this year with COVID, we haven't been able to have the last few weekends. So we were having to do Zoom days, a whole day on Zoom, which is not easy for the studying. Um, and then the, the, so we finished the course at, I finished mine anyway, I did mine over two years, finished in June this year, 2020, at the beginning of June, and we were meant to be ordained deacon at the end of June. But with the COVID restrictions, we, the ordinations were postponed until the end of September. Indeed. So yeah. this is the minute, isn't it? This is the moment, rather, that I big you up, Thea Oliver, <laughs> and say... Because it's October the 2nd today, it's Friday, yeah. windy Friday. But this Saturday just gone, mm -hmm. Saturday the 26th of September at 10.30am, Wells Cathedral. Yes. You were ordained. Yeah. Hooray! <laughs> well done. We'll find out a little bit more in a minute about what you're now called. Mm. But can you just give us a snapshot of the day? You just alluded just a second ago that obviously COVID, unfortunately, has changed the learning process leading up to it, as, yes. as it has for so many processes for so many different people. But can you give us a snapshot of the day? Because I think it was a very moving day for you, I know, and you're going to tell us about who you were able to have there, but you also... <laughs> painted an interesting picture of some of the photographs you had afterwards. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, well, we had, we, in Bath and Wells Diocese, have been incredibly fortunate because the powers that be have managed to organise for us to go on a retreat. You normally have a three-day retreat where you are away, you are mostly silent, um, apart from talks and lots of um, praying, obviously. That's what we do. And and then we, the culmination of that is that you go to Wells Cathedral to be ordained. So your family last see you on the Wednesday morning when you leave, and the next time they see you, you are all dressed up in your kit, and everything, is, you, you know, you go through and the service happens. And normally, it's in Wells Cathedral, as I say. Last year, in June, there were well over a thousand people in Wells Cathedral, and the roof was lifted with the music, and it was just an amazing. I was there to observe because I was doing my placement at, at the cathedral um, last summer, and it was just absolutely amazing and emotional for, I'm sure, everybody who was there. Well, of course, this year, we were only allowed to have four guests. The ordination services were being treated as life events, so the same as at the time, weddings and funerals. You can have 30 people maximum, despite the fact that the cathedral is enormous and massive and you should be able to socially distance. That is the rule. So that's what we did, obviously. So I had four guests. It's really difficult to only choose four people. I decided the only way to do it was to have one person from each generation of my family. Oh, so I have my mum who had her 90th birthday during lockdown um, and my husband, my son Morgan, who lives in London 
and our oldest grandson, Henry, who loves Aww. anything like this. Henry is nine, nearly ten. And uh, yes, it was, it was a wonderful thing to know that they would be there. And also, obviously, Stuart, um, who is our rector, Rev Burns, he was, he was there as well. And lots of things that he should have been able to do for me, we weren't allowed to do because, of course, you, you can't touch. So he should have put the stole on me to, after I, as I was ordained. I had to put that on myself, as, as we all did. But anybody who has managed to see the video will see the way that it worked. It's on the diocesan website. And there are links to it, I think, from my Facebook page. <laughs> Do you know, I just thought of something very profound then, oh, Did you? Yeah. Which is unlike me, Thea, isn't it? <laughs> you know, from, from, from my readings and from, from my, my beliefs, Christianity, religion generally, laying on of hands mm. is, is probably one of the most important visuals you learn, don't you, as you learn about your, your faith. Yes. And... It seems such a cruel thing, doesn't it? That 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 kind of privilege of laying your hands on mm. somebody, you know, in our case, probably hugging people and stuff, yes, has been yeah. taken away. It just yes. seems such a. It is. Tragedy. I mean, the the bishop, Bishop Ruth, Bishop of Taunton, was able to lay hands on us all, but she was wearing a visor and a mask, and she had to use hand sanitizer between us all. And I was the last in the row. I was a little concerned my hair would be a bit sticky with everybody else's hand sanitizer, but it wasn't too bad. I can assure you about that. So you will see, if you watch the film, you will see that I was I was the fifth person that she came to, um, and yeah, and it was fine. So that was the only touch that that was allowed that she put her hands on our head. But we can assure everybody there was plenty of hand sanitizer used in between. Advisors, I mean, it's yeah. where, where has this all gone so wrong? We have to be safe. We of, have course, to, of course yeah. we do. I'm, I'm using the word wrong inappropriately, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. what, how, how have we got to this stage? Yeah. Exactly. Even when I went to my hairdresser the other day, just to be completely dry, he came out of the door. I only went for a fringe trim and he looked like something out of Silent Witness. Yes. You know? And I was thinking, goodness me. I know. So mm. you said at the end you went out of the West Doors, is yes, that right? Yes, so what would normally happen is that at the end of the service the bishops would lead all, all the, the people who have been ordained, all us new deacons, we would be led through the nave of the cathedral which is absolutely packed with people and the music would be going and of course there was very little, they were, there was an organist who was allowed to play for us but not, there were no hymns, there was no music in that way. We heard there was a cantor who sang which was lovely but it wasn't congregational singing, it wasn't, we weren't all joining in. But still, Bishop Ruth led us out and there were the, the, the five of us and the few rather bemused people who were allowed into the nave because the cathedral, of course, was open, saw these people dressed up walking out, parading, I wasn't parading out, walking out, uh, processing, that's the word for the clergy. And the verger opened the great west doors and we were, and the sun was shining and the bishop led us out and it was lovely and it was very symbolic and we were out into the sunshine and she sent us out into the world and that's what we are supposed to be doing. We are deacons, which deacons are servants and we are out to serve the world. Every person who has ever been ordained is a deacon, remains a deacon, so even the Archbishop of Canterbury will be a deacon at heart because that's what, well, that's how we start. And then next year I will be priested 
So you're on your provisional license. Yeah, if you want. Yes, that's a way of explaining it. Yes. Well, you explained it to me before. I did. I said, well, um, yeah. You have to do in fairly simple terms with me. <laughs> yeah. I need images, but that was such a good image for me that you are yes. on your provisional license. So I've been ordained deacon, and so I can lead services, but I can't do sacramental things. So I can't do baptisms or weddings. I can't preside at communion. So I can't, and I can't absolve people of their sins or, or say the blessing at the end of a service yet. Once I'm ordained priest, which will be next year, God willing, yes, that I will be able to do all of those things. So I can pop back then for you to absolve my sins? Exactly, if you want to. But Over coffee, that'd yeah. be great. Maybe, I like. could, yes, I'm sure that can be arranged. That'd be great. Yeah. Maybe a biscuit yes, as well. I can, yeah, well, yes, we'd have to be biscuits. I think yeah. so. But being, being, I can do funerals before. I mean, that's a okay. funeral, funerals can be done by, by curates, because I'm, I'm now the curate. Peter, hmm. what, what is your title? Technically, I'm, I'm Reverend Thea. So are you going to call yourself Rev Thea? I think at school they'll call me that. They're the children when I go in to do assemblies because I think that would be quite nice. Mm. Yeah, if people want to call me that, they can, but I'm still just Thea, really. I'd like to call you Rev Thea. <laughs> you can call me Rev Thea. I think it's so impressive. Yes. Talking about me being impressed at the moment, <laughs> obviously we're sitting at a social distance, yes. but you greeted me at the door and with my tiny amount of remaining sight, I the, the thing that's flashed in my face, because <laughs> it's so white, is your clerical <laughs> collar. Now, and I, and I believe you're still wearing it now. Yes. Um, how does that feel? How does it feel? I mean, you know, we common in common language, we call it a dog collar. Yeah. I know it's called a glare collar. How does that feel? And when do you wear it? And what do you wear it with? All these things I need to know. Oh, yes. Well, it was very strange. I, this, the shirt that I'm wearing is a shirt that I wore to be ordained. And it's, come, it's a fair trade one come from South Africa that a friend at college was given and it was too big for her. So she gave it to me. So I'm really thrilled to have it. So I will wear my collar on a Sunday, um, obviously when I'm doing services, because that's that's what we do. I will wear it um, on Thursdays mostly, I think, because that's my parish day, because I still am working at the health centre Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday every week. Um, so if I go to an evening meeting and it's a church thing, then I, I will wear it just to show you basically, I'm now putting my head above the parapet, so it needs to be obvious of what I'm doing. And that's one of the things about wearing the collar it makes it obvious to people who don't know me that I'm here representing the church, but also representing the love of God to my fellow people. How are the change in this community of Dracon and Rodney Stoke? Because you've always been very community mm. committed. Yes. This is your very funky clock, which we are going to keep in because I love it. We'll <laughs> just let it pass. Thea, I believe this role, is it non-stipend, is that correct? Which means it's yeah. not paid. Yes, my, my role, I am, um, I, well, I will be known as a locally deployed focused priest. So that means that basically I'm an apprentice to Stuart at the moment, and then I'm, well, I have been an apprentice while I'm training, I'm now his curate, and when I'm priested and my curacy ends a year or two after that, then I will be an associate priest. I'm not going to be having my own parish or moving away. I'm staying here. Good. That's the plan, yeah. But I am also, as you say, non-stipendary, but that's sort of known as self-supporting. So I'm SSM, which is a self-supporting minister, which means I need to keep working at the health centre three days a week at the moment. So yes, so that's so I, I don't get paid. I'm I'm a volunteer. Yes. Okay. Well, we think part time. We think you're FAB. <laughs> How will it change your role in the community? Because obviously you 
you've you've done so much already and I mean most of people who will be listening to this will know you well but before I got to know you through through this podcast which has been such a lovely thing I kind of knew you at the carol concert um in the pub and um but but I know that you've always supported a lot of people in the village because I've heard lovely things how will this this new role change that will it change it will you be doing more in the community what would you like to feel you're doing it's a really interesting question. A lot of people ask that. And a lot of people in the church say, not so much in St Peter's Church, I mean people who've, who've spoken to me when I've been training, um, how do you feel the village will look at you differently when you're wearing a dog collar? I think most people, I hope, will not look at me any differently to the way that they have done already because a lot of people know how involved I've been. I see my role as being a practical theologian but with a pioneer heart. So I think I want to put my faith into practice and live it out, which is what I've always done. Wearing a dog collar is going to make me more obvious to people. And as I said, putting my head above the parapet, um, that's, that's the thing that I need to do now. That's what I'm being called to do. If it will make a difference, I don't know. You'll have to come back and ask me in the future because uh, I, hope, I hope it does in some ways. I hope it opens some doors and people will talk to me about things perhaps they hadn't before or people who don't know me might want to speak to me. I hope not many people will say they don't want to be my friend anymore because of this but who knows? I can't I can't tell you that. And I, I hope it hasn't changed me. I'm still me but I'm just more obviously God's representative, the church's representative. Here. I think so. Well we really look forward to that. Yeah, we're coming towards the end now of our, our chat today. A question that crosses my mind when I'm thinking of, an, of a night, as we all do in the darker hours. What does God think of COVID? Why COVID? Why, why is it happening? I mean, so I know that we've had pandemics. I know that we've had world crisis. Um, but this is the first time the world has stopped. Can I ask for your take on that? Yeah, I'm, I think... My answer would be not what does God think of it or why, but where is God in the middle of it? And my belief is that God, I believe in a triune God, that is three in one. I believe that God has everything in his hands, if you want a, um, an analogy of, of how this could be. So God is in control. It doesn't mean God has made COVID, it just means God is in control. We don't understand why, we don't understand that. But God in Jesus is alongside people who are suffering. And God is in the Holy Spirit who is working through medical teams and nurses and people who are caring for those who are suffering and working through the scientists who are looking for a solution. And that is my belief that I, we have hope that we will come out of this at the end. And so it's not what does God think of it, but it is where is God and God is in the heart of it alongside people. Okay, well, I think that I think that's a, an excellent response. Well, I think we just have to leave things on a, on a lighter note. <laughs> now, <laughs> coming back to your clerical collar, I don't yes. want you to think I'm obsessed. I'm very <laughs> jealous 
of it, <laughs> but I'm not obsessed by it. Because you're a out. fellow dog lover, you see. You, just, you think of it as a dog collar. And I, I mean, I'm a dog lover, so that's, that's probably why I've done this, isn't it? More? I want to look like Ada more than... No. <laughs> I don't know that I want to look like Jackie, because that would mean wearing a full guide dog that's harness, true. which is quite a lot to wear, actually. Yeah. It's quite heavy, but it's a, a good thought. But what made me laugh, though, Thea, when I, um, I think I was asking you, well, you tell me, because it's not as simple as just putting on a dog collar, is it? There are various ways of wearing it. I mean, how, how do you put it on? How does it work? Well, there are shirts. I, I, own, I own shirts that you have a, just a little bit of plastic. It used to be, people used to say it was a bit of fairy liquid bottle, but of course now fairy liquid bottles are... Oh, so clear. it doesn't go all the way around, it's just... No, some, some oh, do, but this, I know this one, if, I'll take it out and show you. It's just a small piece of plastic, okay, I'm looking about six at, I'm inches looking long. I'm looking at, through a very hazy yeah. size, it's about a six inch... Six yes, inches. you can hold it. Like. I'm going to hold it. Oh, it's quite crispy. It's unpleasantly plastic. <laughs> Yeah, wow. and so that goes into the shirt. And so I have I have a number of shirts like that, different colours. But I also, of course, if you need to be, if you're wearing, if I'm wearing something else, um, and I just want to quickly put a dog collar on, um, put my clever collar on, I will wear my crop top. Now, I'm worried about this crop top. <laughs> when you first told me about this, you said, oh, yes, Tiggy, don't worry. Um, it's not that uncomfortable to wear because I wear this crop top. I had visions of you going around the village in some sort of crop top with your tummy showing, <laughs> not wearing your clerical collar. No. This is clearly not true. No, no, it's basically, it's, it's made of bamboo, the one that I've got. So it's a bit like a sort of a sweatshirt no, t-shirty type material, which has the collar at the top. And you can just slip it on underneath. So if I'm wearing a, a dress or a, a polo shirt or something like that, then it just immediately makes it look like a clerical outfit. Um, okay. And so it's a, a maybe it's cheating. I don't think it's cheating. I don't think it's cheating. No. It's probably more comfortable. It is much more comfortable. I'm than... feeling I've still got yeah. this clerical collar bit in my hand. Yeah. I mean that to me. I think if you were talking to somebody, you got excited. That might just pop out and take somebody's eye out. It, I suppose potentially it could, but um, yeah. Well, be careful. Thea. <laughs> Thank Thea you very Oliver, much. Thank you. Or may I say, Rev. Thea Oliver. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to Draycott Darris today. It's been an absolute delight. And I know that the whole villages, both Rodney Stoke and Draycott, would like to send you all their love and wish you all the very best. And most of all, congratulations on your ordained show. Thank you very much. Thank you for, thank you for asking me. And thank you for coming to our home. Reverend Thea Oliver, you are an absolute star and inspiration to us all. And thank you for letting us invade your home on such a wet day. A few things just to say. Coming up, November the 14th, Gerald and Maka are going to be contributing to Draycott Diaries, which is really exciting. And I think we'll make a challenging and interesting podcast see what you think. Anyway, I'd also like to thank Jeff Farney, who edited this programme, my brother Hugh Trethowen, who arranged the music, and of course my wonderful, wonderful, wonderful pal and long-term friend Jackie Dog, who gets me around and hopefully will do for the not-so-distant future. Take well, everybody, and thank you for listening. <laughs>